after Jesus had said this, he was deeply troubled and declared openly, I'm telling you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked at one another, completely puzzled about whom he meant. One of the disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was sitting next to Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to him. Ask him whom he is talking about. So that disciple moved closer to Jesus' side. Who is it, Lord? Have some bread and a sauce and give it here. He is the man. So he took a piece of bread, dipped it, and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Hurry. Do what you must. None of the others at the table understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas was in charge of the money bag, some of the disciples thought that Jesus had told him to go and buy what they needed for the festival, or to give something to the poor. Judas accepted the bread and went out at once. After Judas had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man's glory is revealed. Now God's glory is revealed through him. And if God's glory is revealed through him, then God will reveal the glory of the Son of Man in himself. And he will do so at once. My children, I shall not be with you very much longer. You will look for me when I tell you now what I told the Jewish authorities. You cannot go where I am going. <laughs> and now I give you a new commandment. you so you must love one another if you have love for one another then everyone will know that you are my disciples where are you going lord you cannot follow me now where i am going but later you will follow me lord why can't i follow you now i am ready to die for you are you really ready to die for me Before the rooster crows, you will say three times that you do not know me. Do not be worried and upset. Believe in God. And believe also in me. 
There are many rooms in my father's house. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. I would not tell you this if it were not so. And after I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to myself. So that you will be where I am. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, five chapters, John's gospel, time slows down. Up to John 13, he is raised through three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry, and now time slows down. John ends his book by saying, if everything about Jesus was written, the world wouldn't be able to handle the books. And I've heard that if time was that slow throughout the entire Gospel of John, it would be the size of five Bibles. So rich with things about Jesus. And so, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they condensed the things that we needed to know, the most important things. And here he goes into great detail in these five chapters, the last statements of Jesus with his closest followers here. And so, we're going to break into this discourse today at verse 18. He says, I do not speak concerning all of you. This is Jesus talking. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. And then he quotes Psalm 41. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am. And translators have added the words he, but it's not there. This is another one of his I am's. When you see me betrayed, you're going to know that I am, because I've told you guys this in advance. You're going to be devastated, but I'm telling you this to strengthen you, basically. You'll know that I am who I am, even though I'm going to be betrayed. It's going to appear all is lost. He quotes Psalm 41. David wrote, He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. In that psalm, many of David's psalms, he laments, his problems, and then by the end of the psalm, he's giving God praise. There's something to be said for being honest with God, with where you're at, and in the midst of your lamenting, God will bring revelation to you that will give you a reason to praise. So always be honest with God. And so he's speaking of a man that, that betrayed him named Ahithophel. Ahithophel was like David's right-arm man, left David to join ranks with David's son Absalom, who was angry at his dad and was seeking to overthrow his dad. He was attempting to pull off a coup. And so Ahithophel joined ranks with what he thought was a winning team. The end of Ahithophel's story, this is interesting, was great regret, and he hung himself. He went home, got his matters in order, and just did himself in. This should have been a warning to Judas Here, Judas is being told in the presence of other people, nobody else knows what it's about, but Judas certainly does, to the point Jesus even feeds him bread in this story. Hey, guy, he's given him a chance to repent, I believe. Wouldn't Jesus have to be betrayed to fulfill prophecy? Well, somebody else would have betrayed him, I'm sure. But Jesus loved this man. Most assuredly, verse 20, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, what in the world does that have to do with being betrayed? He tells them, I'm telling you this beforehand. And you need to remember that I am who I am. I am. I'm telling you these things beforehand so you'll know that I am. And most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whoever I send 
receives me. He's telling them who they are. They are the body of Christ. I am the I am. Therefore, I'm telling you the future. And you guys are my delegates. So don't forget who I am. Don't forget who you are. Verse 21. When Jesus said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. This story of the Last Supper is in all four Gospels. In Matthew's rendition of it, he remembers them saying, Is it me? Is it I? Could I betray him? Am I doing something wrong? Which I, I kind of like that attitude. Instead of going on a witch hunt, who is it? Years ago I heard that covens are sending people into churches to cause problems and sow discord. Well, I've been here for 21 years and the only problems I've seen isn't from a coven member. <laughs> Satan wants to sidetrack us with fear and get us on witch hunts, being suspicious of each other. Back during the days of communism, my pastor Olin Griffin visited Romania and he was witness to this which was interpreted to him. Romania was behind the Iron Curtain. They were under great oppression, not only because of communism, but their evil dictator, Ceausescu, was just brutal. And he would pay people to spy on other people. Relatives to spy on relatives, pay them for information. And Pastor Olin said he saw the pastor get up and say, I know there are spies among us. I know there's somebody here being paid to spy on us and report back to the government in an attempt to bring us ill. But we are now about to go on a witch hunt to find out who you are. We just want you to know Jesus loves you and we're glad you're here. Let's have church. So the disciples responded, great, uh, is it me? So devious was Judas. He had deceived them so much they were clueless as to him. He wasn't their first suspect. Verse 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' chest one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' chest, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Now, you've got to understand what this is. They're at a supper. It's men only. If Jesus was having a last supper with the 12 disciples. They weren't perfect guys. They needed special attention. And so he's having this meal with them in a... Roman-type, Greek-type setting. Jews did it too, where they would lay around a table, a low table. They wouldn't sit in chairs. They would kind of lay on mats or lounge on what you could call couches, but more like divans or whatever. As their bodies went around the table, they would lay diagonally. Someone's head would be by your chest, and your head would be by someone else's chest. It was laying diagonally like this. You leaned on your left elbow, and you ate with your right hand. Your left hand was your sanitation hand. If you know what that is, I'll tell you after church. Your right hand was your eating hand, and that's the hand you shook hands with. You give people the right hand of fellowship. And so they would lean on their left elbow and eat. And so to the right of Jesus is John, which is a position of honor. He called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And his head, lying diagonally, is about level with Jesus' chest. So John just rolls back on his back and looks up at Jesus and says, Who is it? That type of setup may sound strange to you, but not really. 
Think about what's going to happen today and in homes around our nation. People with good TV sets are going to have homes filled with people laying all over the place. And somebody may have a word for somebody else whose back is turned to them, and that person laying on the floor may just lay, roll over on their back and have a conversation with someone who's sitting up talking to them. So you see, it's not that far out. It's not some gay thing going on here. They're just brothers. Brothers ought to be able to hug each other without feeling weird. He said, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus answered, It is he of whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped. Having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, in the New Testament, you've got to keep your Judas's straight and your Simon's straight because there's a whole bunch of them. Popular names in that day. Jesus even had a brother named Judas who wrote a book of the Bible, and we don't call that book Judas. We call it Jude. Thank God for the King James translators. <laughs> Only Judases in the world now are people's bulldogs and pit bulls. Nobody's naming their children Judas, but I've met some Judes. It's the same name. He gave this bread that he dipped. How many like Lebanese food? Awesome. You ever have hummus? Dip that pita bread in it? I think that's what was happening. He gave him a delicious, delicious meal, dipped, and gave it to Judas as a sign to everybody at the table, especially to John who asked, and to Judas. He was honoring Judas. He washed his feet with all the rest of the guys. Judas may have been sitting on the other side of him. He may, may have been the first set of feet that he washed. Who knows? And Jesus honors him with dipping the bread, which is something you did to honor your guests. He gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, verse 2 says Satan put the thought in Judas' heart to betray Jesus. So the thought came to Judas that, hey, I can make some money on the side on this deal. The Bible says he would take a cut out of the money bag. He was Jesus' treasurer, and he would take a cut out of it. And nobody would catch him, but Jesus knew he was doing it. And obviously, he wasn't getting rich enough, I guess, quick enough. And so he figured, hey, I could betray Jesus. He works miracles. He'd get himself out of this deal. Boy, was he in for a shock. <laughs> Satan had put it in his mind to betray Jesus. So Judas considered it, made up his mind to do it. And then when he got up to do it, Satan entered him. So Satan empowered him to follow through. To me, there's a lesson there. When the thought comes to you to do something evil, that's the level at which to resist it. Amen? Because what does a thought do? It breeds another thought and another thought. And you get enough thoughts, you're going to wind up with a decision. And you make a decision that's wrong, there's consequences. Like a caboose full of snakes. If you just don't, allow the engine to enter your mind, you've avoided a whole world of problems. And so Judas gets possessed by Satan and Satan himself. I mean, this is not a light thing. And both Judas and Satan, who's not omnipresent, leave the room. Satan is not omnipresent. People talk about the devil. Oh, don't pray loud. We don't want him to hear what you're saying. You better pray in tongues. That way the devil doesn't know what you're praying. Well, you won't know what you're praying either. So what if he knows what you're praying? 
He's not omnipresent. According to my understanding of the scriptures, there's a kingdom of evil spirits that he reigns over and torments and manipulates to do his will, that he himself personally is not everywhere. He is not a match for God. You know, there's an Eastern belief in the yin-yang principle. I think Korea has it on their flag. Good, the balance of good and evil. Have you seen that sign? That's not reality. The opposite of light is what? Dark. It's the absence of light. The opposite of heat is what? Cold. It's the absence of heat. The opposite of God is God has no opposite. God has no opposite. So there's no balance to this thing. It's all God. He's just allowing things to be done. He's going to ultimately, in the end, achieve his purpose and have a purchase, redeemed people who will love him for eternity. Conform to his image. That's why everybody's not going to heaven. If everybody goes to heaven, then we have earth too. You know, people want to have their cake and eat it. They want to throw rocks at God and say, if there is a God, why there's so much evil in the world? Because it's not heaven. This is what you get when you don't have God in the picture. So his redeemed community, he will pull out of the picture. He is in the picture, but he's not ruling the hearts of everyone. Unless we submit to his will, he lets us achieve our own ends. And boy, have I gotten off track. After the piece of bread, Satan entered Judas. Judas said to him, what you do, do quickly. Verse 28, but no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus said to him, buy those things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. There was a custom to give money to the poor around the Thanksgiving season. Kind of like the Christmas season. From your blessings, share blessings with others. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. Nobody knew except Jesus and Judas what Judas really was. Judas had deceived them all except Jesus. And ultimately, in the end, Judas deceived himself. That's the problem with deception is you play with it, you're going to wind up being deceived. It led to his suicide. Verse 31, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Now, what's fixing to happen immediately? The crucifixion. Is that going to be a glorious thing? No. But is God, who sees the end from the beginning, who calls those things which be not as though they were and those things that are as though they aren't, Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, sees himself as the lamb risen. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he's looking through the pain and the struggle to the glory. You want to live a life of faith, embrace reality, but look through the story to the other end. The story's not over. When we live trapped in the now, one moment at a time, just us, and not have eyes of faith toward the future, we'll become victims and not victors. Christ knew he was going to be glorified, and so he called the cross his glory. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, verse 33. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. 
So now I say to you, all right, I'm fixing to go to the cross. You can't go there. Fixing to ascend to the Father, and you certainly can't go there. So now I say to you, therefore, in my absence, here's what I'm saying. A new commandment. Can we say new commandment? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So in the wake of my absence, you guys fill in the gaps. Love each other. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? I mean, he just skips over the love thing. You know, never, never mind loving these people. He still had a ways to grow. Where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Christ gives him a little more insight to that in the last chapter of John. That's for another Sunday when he would die as a martyr himself. Verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. You know, I'm your loyal follower. What are you doing leaving me? Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. So he's telling him, you know, by sunup, you're going to deny me? Because roosters crow at sunup? Man, roosters crow all night long. They can crow anytime. I've heard them crow in the middle of the day. What he's saying is, Peter, it's not going to be long. You're going to deny me three times. Now, Mark's rendition of the story, you know, we have four Gospels, four biographies of Jesus told from four different perspectives. Just like if four people saw a car accident and they wrote out what they saw, it would be differently worded. And here's what Mark records. Now, he had his uncle Peter help him record it. So I think Peter would have a little more accurate details of the story. What Peter remembers through Mark, Jesus said is, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me thrice. In Mark's recording of the story, Peter denies the Lord, I think once or twice, and then a rooster crows, and then Peter denies him again, and then a rooster crows the second time, and then he realizes he blew it. So this guy was such a hard head, one rooster crowing wasn't enough to get through to him. And Jesus knew what he was talking about. Traditionally, we would just close a story and talk about how we don't need to deny Jesus. Because that's the end of the chapter, right? But John didn't put chapters in his book. Somebody else did. And I love the job the film did on that part of the story. That's word for word, the today's English version of John, the Good News Bible. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Don't get troubled about it. Believe in God. Believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So he's telling them where he's going. Where are you going was Peter's question, right? I want to go with you. I'm going to my father's house. There's already many mansions there. But you can't go because a place for you hadn't been prepared, basically. You look at it. He asked him, where are you going? I want to go with you. In my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places. If it's not true, I would have told you that it wasn't true. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. 
And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. What is he saying? You know where I'm going and the way there, you know? They would say, we don't know, but really they knew because he was the way. He goes on later on in this chapter, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then later on he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the way is Jesus and the destination is the Father. It's not so much about going to heaven as it is about having a relationship with the Father who is in heaven. That's what it's about. Not about the place, it's about the who. Not so much about the where as it is the who. It's about a relationship with the Father. And guess what? Through Christ, we can start a relationship now with the Father. I love this. He is saying this while talking to Peter and the rest of the disciples. Now, they'd heard some bad news. Peter's going to deny him. Somebody's going to betray him, and Jesus is leaving. Where are you going? My father's house. So what's this place he's preparing? Is he putting silver screws and the golden hinges on the pearly gates? No. All that stuff was already done before there was ever an earth, I believe. The place he was preparing was purchasing the right for them to go there. You're separated from God by your sin. This is the gospel. And I'm going to prepare a place for you by taking your place so you can go to my place. I'm taking your place on the cross. I'm taking your place by receiving the death sentence. And your place, I'm arising from the dead ascending to the Father, and one day I'm coming back to take you with me to the Father. Important words, I want to highlight two verses in this thing. John 13, 20, Jesus said, most assuredly. Now, he says this quite a bit. In the Greek language, the word he uses is amen, amen. He says amen twice, amen, amen. Amen is not just a concluding word to a prayer, so be it. You know, I believe this is going to happen, that kind of deal. No, it means this is a sure deal. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. You say amen twice, it's even more for sure. And so Christ often would begin his statements with amen, amen, most assuredly or verily, verily, I say to you, he who receives, can we say receives, whomever I send receives me. Whoever receives the one I send. The sheriff's department has an elected official overseeing it called the sheriff. And under him are deputies who are his representatives. And if a deputy tells you to do something, you better mind because he's got the elected official to whom he's delegated him, whose authority he is walking in. And so when Christ sends us on a mission, he doesn't send us empty hands. He sends us with his authority. And whoever receives us or receiving the blessing that we've been sent to, to give, right? Then he says, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Christ was delegated by the Father to come to earth. This is the gospel. And Christ came to earth and delegated assignments to his disciples. This is in the context of him saying, someone's going to betray me. I'm telling you this so you know that I am. And whoever receives you, whom I send, They're receiving me. Don't forget who you are. I am, and you are my representatives. So keep that in mind. 
Now jump to verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. He's sending them on a mission. What is this mission? Fulfilling the new commandment. I give to you that you love one another. Can we say love one another? Tell your neighbor, love me. All right, that's a commandment in itself, right? Love one another. All right, let's all fulfill the great commandments. As I have loved you. He took the great commandment to love your neighbors yourself and raised it to the level of loving as he loved us. Now, some people try to cop out on obeying the great commandment to love your neighbors yourself by saying, well, I don't love myself yet. I just loathe myself. And so when I get myself straight, then I'll work on loving others. Christ takes a quantum leap over that. He loves you. Believe it. Receive it. Walk in it. Now love others that same way. Wash their feet. Care for them. Feed them, even though they're going to stab you in the back. Love your neighbors. This is his message. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And then he, then he explains it. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. This is how we're to do it. Jesus is this verse. The topic today is Jesus is love. Can we say that? Jesus is love. What is love? It's personified and explained in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love suffers long, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, love is not puffed up, love does not behave rudely, love does not seek its own, love is not provoked, love thinks no evil, love does not rejoice in iniquity, love rejoices in the truth, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Who is this? Jesus. This is love, and this is Jesus. You could replace the word love with Jesus and every one of those little phrases, and it would be the truth. He is love personified. God is love. He is God, and He is love. Can we say Jesus is love? John was there witnessing this. This is the roots to what he wrote in his letter in chapter 4 of 1 John, a discourse on love. Number one, to us, godly love is commanded. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, we used to sing this in church. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God and everyone who loveth. Yeah, King James Version, is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not Knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. <laughs> Number two, for us, God's love was manifested. Can we say manifested? He didn't just command us to do something He didn't do first. First John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. So his love was manifested in Jesus. This means Jesus is the manifestation of God, the manifestation of God's love, the manifestation of love. It is not bad theology or English to say Jesus is love. Now, we're not talking about the love that the world gives, self-centered love. This is agape love, sacrificial, unconditional, undying, unselfish love. 
Not the kind of love that throws his hands up and says, I just don't love you anymore. No, he will never do that. He will never stop loving us because he walks in that kind of love. This is the kind of love that was manifested through Christ. Number three, freeing us, God's love is reconciling. First John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means appeasement. It appeased the demands of justice. The wrath of God, as it were, for wickedness was, is appeased through the death of his son. This is amazing because the death of the Son of God was the ultimate of sin. This was the worst sin imaginable. To take an innocent man and torture him unjustly and kill him. Now, why is that an ultimate of sin? Because people kill innocent people all the time. Because this person was God's son. You know, you can slap me around, and that's hard to take, but I can take it. Slap my son around, that's a whole nother picture. This is what the human race did to God's son. It magnifies the offensiveness. In my mind, it does. And yet God takes that, allowed it to happen, and is fully appeased to show us his love. He extends mercy through that act. Number four, helping us. God's love is inspiring. Verse 11 of that same chapter. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If God so loved us, that kind of love should inspire us to love one another. Number five, with us, God's love is perfecting. The first letter of John, chapter 4, verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Now, how can you perfect the love of God? How can you improve on God's love. I mean, it can't be improved upon. So what is he saying? The word perfect means complete, whole. When Jesus said, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, he was talking about loving our enemies because God is kind to everyone. The rain that we need falls on just people and unjust people. His love is whole, it's complete. And so our love needs to be for everybody, not just those that please us. I think that's what he was referring to. So his love is completed in us. His love is present for the world to receive, and it's our duty to go and show it to those that don't know it, right? I'm a poet, don't know it, and rhyme all the time, rapping a snap. Here's the way I can explain it, with electricity. When we turn these projectors on, turning the projectors on didn't turn the electricity on. Turn the projectors on, completed the circuit, and revealed the electricity that was already there, and now we're enjoying the technology that was in these projectors. The love of God is already there, and when we show love to somebody else, we complete the circuit. Ministry is God's love finding its destination through us. You're a Holy Ghost battery waiting to help somebody. The world needs a jump. Let's complete the circuit. Number six, in us, by believing, God's love abides. Now, anybody can be skeptical and unbelieving, and you do that, you won't reap the benefits of it. You have been awarded the love of God to receive, and it's received by believing that God so loved. 
1 John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. His love abides in us. Our part is to believe it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I don't know that that's talking about the devil so much as you. The greater than you is living in you. Greater is he that is in you than your biggest imaginable enemy in the world is in you. Believe it and walk in its reality. Number seven, through us, his love reaches the world. He's not sending angels into the world to preach. It's us. Well, aren't there angels in the book of Acts? Yes, there are. And they're always directing people to preachers, directing people to disciples. Hey, Peter, go to that prayer meeting. Get out of here. Go be with the people. First John 4, 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Do you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, on the day of judgment? Here's a truth to remember and believe in. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Who is he? He is love. What are we? He who receives us, receives the one who sent us. He who receives the one who sent us, receives the one who sent him. So Jesus sent us to show God's love to the world. God is love. Jesus is love, and we are beloved. You see that? Love has been made complete among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That's a parenthetical statement, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. So you can read it like this. Love has been perfected among us in this, because as he is, so are we in this world. He is love, and in this world we are to be love. We're to be loving. This is not a side issue. This is a priority. Now, there may be among us somebody who's a champion for truth. Yes, truth is more important than love. Well, let me tell you, truth is important. Without it, we wouldn't know about love. And love is a truth. And if you cut love out of it, you don't have the whole truth. So love is important. From us, number eight, perfect love removes our fear, takes it away from us. First John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. Can we say no fear? But perfect love casts out fear. What is that perfect love? That love that completes a circuit with God. Perfect love, that love that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Casts it out, throws it out. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So if all you want is to get rid of fear and receive God's love for you to do it, you're not completing the story. You're not completing the circuit. It's that fear that keeps us from showing God's love to hateful people, to people that might reject us, that God's love will throw it out. It's amazing when you see it in context. It's all about showing the love of God, and fear won't stand up to God's love.
Number nine, before us, God's love for us was first. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. You ever play checkers with somebody? Is it my turn? It's your move. He made the move. Now it's our move. What will we do with his commission? And finally, between us, God's love is made visible. Nobody can see the love of God unless it's manifested between Christians. Verse 20 of 1 John 4, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Can we say liar? But he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Jesus was asked, what was the great command? He said to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he didn't stop there. Then he said, and the second one is like unto it. To love your neighbor as yourself. They're connected. You connect those two. I don't love my neighbor as myself. but boy, I sure do love God. No, you don't love God. Because he made the people you can't stand. He loves them just as much as he loves you. 1963, this man, Martin Luther King, was thrown in jail in Birmingham. And while in jail, eight preachers wrote an official letter that was published. They put their names to it, denouncing what he was trying to do. It's not time yet. It's... And so he responded on scraps of paper because he didn't have a tablet and the margins of the newspaper. And when he got out of jail, he did it upright and responded to them. And it's a masterpiece. It's probably the best the best document that came from the civil rights movement in the 60s. And in the middle of that document, he said this, the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. What does our culture think of the church in the 21st century? They may not like us, but if we walk in love, they will respect us. Because by this will all men know you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to walk in your love to the point that we would be called Christians, not just because we go to a church, but because we are like Christ. And if you are love, Lord, make us like you. Lord, we ask for a transformation, not just improvement, but a transformation in our hearts as individuals and as a congregation that shows up in the way we live at work, at home, and when we meet together, and when we reach out. In Jesus' name, amen. Lionel Richie wrote a song entitled Jesus is Love. We used to sing it in church years ago when I was growing up, and I've asked Pastor Shake to sing it.
Salvation. Sure. 